0: Welcome to the American Families of Faith podcast. Hosts Lauren Marks and Dave Dollahite share insights gained from two decades of research interviewing various people about the crossroads of faith and family life. Visit AmericanFamiliesOfFaith.byu.edu to learn more.
1: Hello, welcome to another um, podcast in our Families of Faith podcast series. This is part of a series of about 11 or 12 podcasts that myself, Dave Dollaheite, and my colleague, Lauren Marks, are doing, and and Lauren and I are co-directors of the American Families of Faith Project, about a two-decade study of uh, now about 300 families throughout the country, and as part of that, we uh, have done a book called Strengths of Diverse Families of Faith, which pulls together findings on eight different faith communities. And today we're talking about Catholic and Orthodox Christian families. And the title of the chapter uh, that we're going to be talking about and sharing is Kept Together by Faith, Confession and Forgiveness Among American Catholic and Orthodox Christian Families. And we were joined on this chapter by four co-authors, and Lauren and I are the editors of the book, and this chapter was written by two graduate students at Brigham Young University that were graduate students in a class on religion and family, and those two students were Thomas White and Joe Shaludrai, both, you know, great graduate students, and uh, Joe finished his doctorate recently, and both of those students worked hard in analyzing the data and writing the first drafts of the chapters. And then we involved a couple friends and colleagues of ours, Pam Monroe and James Garand, who happen to be married to each other. They're both professors at Louisiana State University and both practicing Catholics, and both have been very involved in their profession. They've both been uh, leaders, national leaders in their profession, uh, Pam Monroe in the National Council on Family Relations, and uh, James in the poli-sci profession. And so we're excited to have a chance to share with you some of the things that we learned as we did a deep dive study of Catholic and Orthodox Christian families. Now, Lauren, you know Pam and James really well. You spent time in their home. Tell us a little bit about them. I have. One thing I wanted
0: to share about Pam and Jim, marvelous people, absolute first-class professionals. And as you mentioned, practicing Catholics but something that I love about Pam and Jim, and I have asked them permission to share this in a number of different forums. Pam is uh, one of the nation's leading poverty scholars, an ardent uh, Democrat, politically has worked in political circles for decades. Jim, a political science professor, former president of the Southern Political Science Association is a flag-waving Republican. And I have been inspired on a number of occasions. To see their interactions, the respectful discourse they have, the bantering, the challenging of views, and in a time of political division in our own country, I've thought many times how much better off we would be if we could model the kind of respectful, deeply respectful exchange that I've witnessed between those two over the years. It certainly has instilled me with a form of holy envy, something that we'll return to later in this podcast, as, as we always do.
1: Terrific. Thank you. So in this podcast, we're going to be talking about what we learn in a very careful analysis of interviews with a number of Catholic families. We'll be focusing on Catholic and Orthodox Christian religious beliefs, practices, and aspects of religious rituals that help in personal life, in marriage, and in parenting. And uh, when we talk about Catholic families, of course, we're referring to Roman Catholic folks. And when we talk about Orthodox Christian families, we're referring to folks also known as Eastern Orthodox. And there are fewer, uh, many fewer Orthodox Christians in America than there are Roman Catholics. But these faiths have some important commonalities, even though they split apart in the Great Schism in the 11th century. They are similar in how much they focus on Holy Communion, or the Eucharist, or the Divine Mysteries—how much they focus on the importance of confession to a priest as part of uh, religious practice—and so, and they're similar in a number of other ways. I was raised in the Episcopal Church, uh, an Anglican branch of the Christian faith, which is similar to both Catholicism and Orthodox Christianity in how liturgical the faith is. You know, very kind of high church, and and so there's a lot of similarities in these faiths, and so we follow the practice uh, in many other studies, uh, many other surveys to kind of link together Catholic and Orthodox Christian folks.
0: Yeah, the Catholic Church's influence in America has reportedly waned since the middle of the 20th century, but the percentage of Catholics in the U.S. population has ranged from a high in the middle to upper 20s to a low in the the low 20s in about 2015, depending on which survey you look at. One reason for this decline is that uh, only about 59% of individuals raised Catholic currently classify themselves as Catholic. In this pattern of decline, however, it's set off a little bit by converts to Catholicism, as well as the increase in the U.S. uh, immigrant population, especially Hispanic immigrants, that represent an increased share of Catholics over the past decade or two. In spite of uh, a general waning influence, Catholic Church policies and practices are still influential, even salient, in some couples' marital and family life, including those we interviewed for this project. The Catholic Church's position on marriage and marriage requirements extends from the premise that marriage is sacramental and holy, and that the marital union includes fulfilling prerequisites to baptism and giving free consent to the marriage. In addition, pre-cana, or other marriage preparation classes are are usually required for sacramental marriage by the church. Dave, we've had two now retired colleagues, Tom Holman, Jeff Larson, who spent large portions of their careers doing marriage preparation, education and instrument uh, development to try to strengthen marriages on the front end. And uh, I know you and I both have tremendous uh, respect for the efforts that the Catholic Church has put into these pre-Cana trainings to do the same thing for women and men moving into marriage, to give them the best chance of success on the front end. Scholars have conducted empirical research on Catholic couples who are actively involved in their faith, and that includes us.
1: Yeah, and you're talking about the marriage preparation courses that our Catholic friends do, and along with most other faiths who do some type of If someone wants to get married in a church, often the pastor or priest or rabbi will encourage, if not require them, to participate in some kind of premarital courses or counseling or uh, education of some kind. And the research is really clear, very, very um, high quality longitudinal research shows that In fact, premarital education can make a real difference. It it sort of benefits couples as they adjust, as all couples have to adjust to the challenges of a new marriage. Uh, Those who participate in some kind of premarriage education actually have about a 30% benefit, which is big in the social sciences. So uh, I'm glad you mentioned that. Researchers who have looked at Catholic families have studied a number of kinds of issues, including how beliefs about sin and repentance and forgiveness and practices such as confession and reconciliation have actually helped couples and families in strengthening their relationships. Some studies have found that participants report that religious practices and their relationship to God uh, were very important to them in helping them to maintain uh, harmonious relationships within the family. You know, parents in these studies talk about that their beliefs and their practice give them a kind of foundation for meaning and for guidance and give a sort of a sacred purpose to help them in their parenting. And of course, parenting is a very challenging activity for all of us. The studies have looked at forgiveness and found that uh, you know forgiveness makes a big difference in helping people heal and resolve their conflicts, and that practices such as confession can actually make a real difference in people's relationships and helping them to improve and to resolve serious conflicts. Catholicism does place a heavy emphasis on the relational nature and quality of the human expressions and practices of faith. In that sense, uh, Catholic faith traditions are a little bit less oriented on merely private, personal, individual beliefs and practices that our Protestant uh, friends tend to emphasize more. And the Catholic community tends to emphasize the communal nature of a body of believers. Catholicism teaches that the family is what they call a domestic church and also what they call a communion of persons. And that emphasizes sort of the expressions both the internal and the external expressions of faith making a difference in that domestic church, in that communion of persons that make up a marriage or a family. And so family members are, in the Catholic faith, encouraged to not just live for themselves and not just see themselves as merely an individual, but to see themselves as part of a larger community, the Catholic church in general, the world in general, as well as that little small community called the domestic church.
0: Catholicism does emphasize the of nature of family and society as well. Parents and spouses are charged with creating a home where tenderness, forgiveness, and respect are taught as part of daily life and where members acknowledge communal responsibilities to all persons in society, not just fellow congregants. While forgiveness clearly is not a concept unique to Catholicism, it does carry additional or unique connotations for Catholic and Orthodox families. Most faith traditions include the notion of admitting or confessing one's misdeeds to God or a higher power. And these traditions may also include the requirement of making things right with another person, whom one has harmed or mistreated in some way. But in Catholicism, the concept is broadened to include formal priestly confession and forgiveness as a communal act and as a step towards restoration within the family, as well as the larger community. There may be no other faith that systematizes forgiveness and repentance in quite the same way. Catholicism acknowledges a reciprocal responsibility for family members to create holiness in one another by being generous and tireless and forgiving one another. These are statements paraphrased from official documents from the Catholic Church. A signature element of Catholicism is readily identified by persons with basic knowledge of the faith tradition, and that would be confession and the confessional. This practice is woven into the consciousness of practitioners and the general public. We see it portrayed often in media, for example, even as actual participation in the formal act of confession is low and and on the decline somewhat. But... Acknowledgement of faults of commission or omission and acts of restitution and obedience to demonstrate regret and sincere intentions not to repeat the same faults. And being embraced by and restored to the fraternal communion of believers are tenets, central and routine to the thinking of Catholic and Orthodox families. Finally, in these traditions, there's an emphasis on this process as both private and internal, but also as an external expression of remorse and and restoration. We might say sincerity. Ideally, confession, including uh, acknowledgments of faults, remorse, resolution, and forgiveness, shape marital, parental, and family interactions and relationships. And for many of the observant families that we interviewed, and for observant families in general, these practices are intentionally woven
1: into the fabric of family life. So you've been talking about kind of the unique emphasis that our Catholic friends place on confession, even though it's not practiced as much as it once was and is probably as much as many Catholic leaders would like it to be. Interestingly, we also interviewed some Orthodox Christian families, and that faith continues to highly emphasize formal confession to a priest on a regular basis, in fact, a weekly basis. For those Orthodox Christian families who are very observant in their faith, they practice going to confess their sins before they receive the what they call the divine mysteries, or what Catholics call the Eucharist, what Protestants might call Holy Communion. That practice is an important part of their devotion. It's similar uh, to what Catholics used to practice. That Orthodox Christians have kind of continued that emphasis, while it's decreased quite extensively in the Catholic faith. Research with Orthodox Christians is very limited. There's very few studies that have looked in depth at Orthodox Christian families. Far more studies have looked at Catholic families or Jewish families or LDS families or evangelical families. And unfortunately, little research has been done on Orthodox Christian families. So the research that we present in this podcast and in our book is among the few studies done that looks carefully at what Orthodox Christian families actually do and what difference it makes in their families. As I've said, Orthodox Christians very much emphasize forgiveness, reconciliation, institutionalized opportunities for forgiveness, that is speaking to a priest in private and confessing, and seeking forgiveness from others, as well as self-forgiveness. These elements, along with uh, their deep theology about forgiveness and reconciliation, makes a real difference in the lives of Orthodox Christians who are practicing. A study done by uh, Rusu and colleagues uh, among Romanian Orthodox Christian couples found that supportive dyadic coping mediated the relationship between sanctification of marriage, marital satisfaction, and well-being. Those are all kind of fancy social science words to say that couples who focused on their faith felt a sense of holiness and a sense of improvement in their relationships. In this present study, we will qualitatively explore some of these same types of issues that a couple of other studies have looked at, and we'll go into more detail as well. So, namely, we emphasize how and why religious beliefs and practices in communities seem to yield benefits in personal life, in marriage, and in parenting among our sample of highly religious Catholic and Orthodox Christian families.
0: In terms of how we went about gathering the the data for this particular study, we conducted in-depth interviews of about two to two and a half hours each in the homes of 21 Catholic and Orthodox Christian families, a total of 47 individuals. In the families that Dave interviewed, he interviewed youth children as well. Uh, Those families hailed from four different regions of the country, uh, the Pacific, Deep South, Mid-Atlantic, Northeast, so from diverse uh, regions. The wives and husbands had been married an average of about 20 years and had an average of three children. Families were from various ethnic backgrounds, including African-American, Latino, Native American, and white including Estonian, Greek, Irish, Italian, and we had one Irish-Italian family. Our analyses yielded nine different themes, three for each of the following domains. Uh, General life strengths first, second, some marital strengths, and third, some parenting strengths. And we'll illustrate those findings using verbatim quotes uh, from our participants. All the participants' names that we'll mention are, are pseudonyms to protect the identity, And consistent with our aim to try to be choir directors as opposed to diva soloists, we're gonna try to let these couples and families speak as much to you first person as possible. So on that note, the first domain we're gonna take a look at is general life strengths. And participants indicated various ways that religious beliefs, practices, and aspects of faith community offered or enhanced general life strengths, specifically three related themes included that faith provides answers to life's questions, that their faith teaches us to love others, and faith in challenging times. A couple of comments from participants related to the theme that faith provides answers to life's questions include the following. A Latino Catholic couple, Tanak and Lupita, explained, we learned That God has to be the center of our family if we don't bring God into our family we're most likely to have a lot of problems because God teaches us how to react to problems how to address problems how to communicate how to take care of our kids and how to communicate as a couple God has to be in our family in our house otherwise we're just not going to have a clear direction what we want to do and what to follow also as a family god gives us direction to guide ourselves to guide the children for many of the couples we interviewed religion reportedly provided a framework to assess accountability in family relationships martin an estonian orthodox christian husband said religion gives me a sense of accountability to someone other than just me and my wife i am accountable to god above i have obligations to my family and my obligations to my wife. My church provides me those parameters of what those obligations are. Without it, it would just be subjective. It would be me
1: determining what is right or wrong. So in this broad theme of general life strengths, the second idea or finding was that people talked about the fact that faith teaches us to love others. For example, Leanna, a Catholic wife, said I think it's our relationship with God that has made us try to please God in our relationships with each other and how to treat other people. In what we say, how we treat people, being kind to each other, I think the relationship with God just keeps you more peaceful and more centered and treating people in a better way. Another uh, Catholic wife, Elisa Latina, expressed how God's message taught her to treat others. She said, the principle that we learn from God's message is not to be selfish. Be humble and caring for the other and giving. It's not much about your needs, but what it is that you can do for others. Another Latina Catholic wife, who we called Aurelia, explained via her husband Felipe's translation of her Spanish how the Bible taught her the importance of loving and trying to understand others. Aurelia said, Through faith in God, you learn how to love people, even people who don't love you, even people who hate you. You learn to understand people with more love rather than just saying, that's a bad guy. You can understand and love people. A Catholic father mentioned that it was important to him that his children understand what he called, quote, the basic Catholic values of helping people, caring about people, and sacrificing for each other. Hopefully, you live these values all the time, end quote. Finally, it was not at all unusual for us to hear Catholic parents draw on their church's teachings that family life is a vocation. A vocation is the Catholic word that, you know, Protestants use the word, a calling. A vocation is the idea that you have a special responsibility to something, and the idea that family is a vocation that is just as sacred as the priesthood, which, of course, is a very important vocation in the Catholic faith. One mother mentioned the challenge— Of striking a balance between service to the church and not, quote, forgetting what God wants you to do in your vocation with your family, end quote.
0: Another theme that recurred was the importance of faith in challenging times. Uh, Several participants mentioned how not only religion generally, but quote, God himself, end quote, provided peace even during challenging times. Antony, a Latino Catholic husband, said, God is there. And if my family understands this and knows that God is there and that no matter what they do, God will still be there, that if they take one step towards him, he'll take three steps towards you, that you are never alone. If we remember these things, then no matter what happens, it will work out for you. A black Catholic wife named Erica shared a harmonizing belief when she said, you're going to have trials and troubles. You have to work at it. But there's also that underlying belief that the Lord doesn't give you any more than you can handle. And as long as you know that the Lord doesn't give you any more than you can handle, then you can handle the situation. An Italian American Catholic wife named Angela spoke of peace and consolation she received through what she called the presence of God. She said, I would say that I feel consoled, consoled by knowing the presence of God, God's presence in my life. I am not alone. As bad as I sometimes feel that I am as a mother or as a wife, I still feel like God's presence is constant and steady and that God always loves me. And that's consoling for me.
1: We're going to shift gears away from just kind of general benefits that religion brought to Catholic and Orthodox families. Now to focus in on marital strengths. Uh, We identified three themes in this domain of marital strengths, ways that religious faith made a difference and strengthened and enriched couples' relationships. The first one is that religion promotes marital unity. The second, that prayer helps people to avoid or resolve conflict. And the third, that faith encourages forgiveness. So in that first theme that religion promotes marital unity, a Catholic wife named Karen said, God is present in our marriage and keeps us together when you want to walk away. It helps bind you together. Uh, An Orthodox Christian wife, uh, we called Cindy, explained how multiple aspects of her religion, including specific prayers and counsel from her spiritual father, that is her priest, made a difference in her life. She said, we pray for our marriage. I have specific prayers for our Orthodox marriage. My spiritual father helps me with the marriage. It is part of our faith. Also, the first and foremost commandment is to love God and then to love your neighbor as yourself. My husband is my closest neighbor.
0: Another marital strength that recurred in the interviews was that faith helps in resolving marital conflict. Several couples reported that prayer helped them to avoid or to resolve conflict in their marital lives. One example came from a Greek Orthodox wife we'll call Anne. She said, When it's getting to be bedtime and we want to say prayers, it's pretty hard to stand in front of the icon corner and say prayers together and keep being mad at each other. I don't really remember having gone to bed mad at each other after saying prayers. In many Orthodox homes, they will have a sacred and set-apart corner with religious icons and artifacts that are meaningful to the family, designated for a prayer area. An Italian Catholic wife named Angela explained the importance of forgiveness in marital conflict when she said, in times when we have conflict about anything, we can say, let's just stop. That ability to come together in prayer and ask for each other's forgiveness and God's forgiveness and the discernment and the direction is something that helps us. I don't know how people can get through without having that. Another participant summed up this, uh, this discussion on resolving marital conflict by saying, quote, Because of the faith that we are in, we are going to be kind, understanding, compassionate, because that's what we're supposed to be doing. That's what we're taught from our faith, End
1: quote. So the third and final theme under uh, the header of marital strengths is that faith encourages forgiveness. Couples reported that their faith encouraged them to forgive their spouse. One concrete motivation is that, especially for Orthodox Christians, that they were not permitted to participate in certain holy practices such as receiving the bread and wine, the divine mysteries, unless they had a heart free of resentment and had forgiven their spouse. For example, Cindy, an Orthodox Christian wife, said, In order for us to receive the divine mysteries, the holy mysteries of communion, the blood and body of Christ, we cannot be angry with each other. We can't be carrying a grudge. We are not allowed to approach the chalice if we're mad at each other. So, we ask for forgiveness before we go to communion. Her husband, uh, Neil, added, We go to church in the car every Sunday. We individually, each member, ask every other member of the family for forgiveness. There are some weeks when I want to turn around and say, No, not this week. Sorry, no. Not after what you did this week. But failure to forgive is not an option. A Latino couple also discussed uh, forgiving in relation to their religious practices. Consuela said, there is a part in our Mass where it's the sign of peace, and you have to forgive each other. You can't just ignore each other, and I think the grace of God helps you to get to that forgiveness point. Her husband Juan said, it's usually not within the context of the Mass itself that there's this major reconciliation. That usually happens outside the Mass. But maybe there was a reading that really went right to your heart and right to the core. Consuela, uh, later on in the interview, also said, it helps you understand the forgiveness thing. Uh, She noted that we are, quote, called to do that. And it's not easy. And it almost takes supernatural powers to do, end of quote. And she talks about, you know, forgiveness being kind of a, a supernatural power. Wouldn't it be great if all of us had the superpower of forgiveness, that we could forgive each other of those things uh, that that people do to us? But in fact, most of us find that it's very difficult to forgive, especially if the hurts, the harms have been uh, quite serious. The good news is that our studies, as well as other studies, show that devotion, religious belief, religious practice, religious ritual actually helps people forgive, and that helps them reconcile their relationships. And that helps them to have more joy, more peace, and more lasting relationships. I'm
0: reminded of one of our quotations from a mid-20th century journalist, Robert Quillen, who says, a happy marriage is the union of two good forgivers. Um, We shift now from marital strengths to parenting strengths. And there were several of those noted by our Catholic and Orthodox families as well. Three themes related to parenting and faith included that faith reportedly enhanced parent-child unity, that uh, faith was helpful in resolving parent-child conflict, not just marital conflict, and that forgiveness is aided by faith in parent-child relationships as well as marital relationships. So the first theme we'll touch on is the enhanced parent-child unity that can come from faith. A Catholic mother said, We pray together as a family. My husband, Jake, is so good about it at bedtime. I don't think he has ever missed a night praying with the children, the boys in their room, because they're in the same room, and then the girls. I think for them, it's routine, and for them, it's being a part of the family. I think that evens their day out. A Latino Catholic father named Carlos explained the importance of family time on Sunday in terms that emphasized a shared mutual experience in a community of believers, he told us. We try to make family more Sunday-oriented. I also agree with my wife, Aida, about attending Mass. For me, attending Mass on Sunday is one of the things we do religiously that I feel keeps us together. I think Sunday is a time when we're not talking, when we're not listening. Instead, we're listening to a message that applies to all of us. I think that by sitting side by side, almost touching, aware of the presence of the others while we are quiet and just focused on that one particular scene, this allows us to get closer. As I mentioned earlier, Dave in his interviews also strived to interview youth as well. And uh, one 15-year-old Latino son, Pedro, said that His family's faith and prayer practices helped him feel connected to his family, even when they're apart. Uh, Specifically, Pedro reported that his family shares their needs with each other before going their separate ways in the morning, a kind of uh, sacred family tradition. He said, when we say different things we want to pray for, like for the day, I know my parents are praying for the things that I need help with. I know that my mom's going to be praying for me too. And it gives me reassurance. And it just makes me feel better that we're all family and that we're all
1: doing this together as one. So in this uh, domain of parenting strengths, the second theme was about resolving parent-child conflict. Catholic and Orthodox folks that we interviewed told us that practices like prayer and scripture reading help them to gain more patience with their kids when conflict arose. For example, Angela, an Italian Catholic mother, said, When we're in a moment of conflict, that's when I feel like I pray the most, because I feel like I really, really need it. And when I'm feeling really angry, that's when I pray the most, because I just, I need something to grab onto. An Irish Catholic father named Brian explained how a Bible verse taught him not to take offense. He said, Proverbs says, good sense makes a man slow to anger, and it's his glory to overlook an offense. And I need to see that every day. I tend to overlook my sins, but not the sins of others. But I'll be in that conflict, and I'll have to turn to my sons and say, Peace be with you. And they say back, Peace to me. They're forgiving me for my multitude of omissions and commissions. Again, Brian was referring to that place in the Catholic Mass, which is similar in many faith communities, where uh, people turn to each other and greet each other uh, with the greeting of peace. They might hug, they might shake hands, and you know, not wanting to do that without there actually being peace between you. It's another example of religious ritual having power to actually remind people and encourage people and strengthen people. And okay, let's admit it, sometimes guilt people into doing what they might have had a hard time doing on their own. That is to say, I'm sorry, or to forgive each other.
0: The overriding theme of forgiveness that was mentioned in connection with marriage resurfaced as uh, the parents we interviewed talked about their parent-child relationships. And forgiveness does appear to be a major component in doing that for many of the families that we interviewed. As parents and children focused on the practices, the habits, the teachings of their faith tradition, they reported that they were reminded of the importance of forgiving others, even when it was difficult to do so, as Dave was just mentioning. One Orthodox Christian mother said, We have to forgive each other, and we always ask for forgiveness. Angela, A Catholic mother quoted earlier, said that prayer got her through the times she was most angry with her children. She went on to confess that she sometimes pleaded with God in this way, saying, restrain me. I want to hit someone right now. And it's very real. It's not just like I'm reciting some poem or something. It's a conversation I'm having with someone. And it helps. It always helps to calm me down And give me some perspective. Even though these were exemplar families who were pointed out to us by their respective clergy as particularly strong, Dave and I were both impressed how honest and transparent these families tended to be in most cases about their own foibles, their weaknesses, their shortcomings, and that shines through in that excerpt from Angela. Another Latina Catholic mother said, My faith keeps me in check for sure, because I could really come unhinged if it weren't for me remembering, this is not how you're supposed to act. This is not how you're supposed to deal with this situation. It, faith, helps me stay focused and to be a better person. I don't think if you didn't have faith, you could go through life raising children. I cannot imagine it. Similarly, a parent of adolescence uh, noted that conflict is inevitable, but added that, quote, To help avoid or reduce conflict, we use unceasing prayer, frequent forgiveness, and confession. Kids and parents together, talking about what we did wrong. Praying constantly makes you think before you speak. We do forgiveness and confession every week all those things, you you put it all together, and I think that is what makes the package in keeping God central. Patrick, an Irish-Italian Catholic teenage son, explained how faith has encouraged him to forgive. He told us, It makes us love each other more, I guess. If we weren't religious like we are, the little things that get us mad would really echo or become blown out of proportion a lot more. Even with our faith, we argue sometimes, but then the next morning, we'll just forget about it and know we all love each other. And it makes it so that we just have a kind of an understanding. We'll forgive each other no matter what.
1: Yeah, listening to those parents talk about the, you know, wanting to hit one of their kids and that uh, rage and and that uh, sort of uncontrollable anger that sometimes uh, overtakes parents. Uh, reminds me of that saying that is troubling for people to hear, but I've heard it uh, said, and and I I think it's an accurate saying. And the saying is that people who are not parents are really surprised at how much child abuse there is in the world, whereas people who are parents are surprised that there's not a lot more child abuse than there actually is. And it's one of those things where, you know, it's easy to have an ideal and sort of hypothetically say, you know, I will never yell at my kids, and I will certainly never hit my kids, and that's a very good ideal to have. It's a very good commitment to make. But the realities of day in, day out family life, the grinding, the, the, the offenses that come, the ways that kids uh, learn how to push their parents' buttons and so forth, um, make it so that sadly, tragically, violence of parents upon children is not a rare thing. And the research shows, uh, lots of studies have shown that more religious parents tend to have lower levels of child abuse and that's a really profound finding and what our research has tried to do is to help understand why it is the case that so many studies have shown that religious parents are less likely to abuse their kids and what we try to do is to get into the kind of the processes and the the meanings and you know the reasons why that is the case and our studies you know those that we've interviewed have helped us to understand some of those reasons. Our findings suggest that Catholic and Orthodox Christian parents and their children were encouraged to forgive each other and to be reconciled with each other and with their community of believers by participating in mass and communion-related rituals, such as confession. Our study demonstrated that for many Catholic and Orthodox Christian families, their religious faith was a source of comfort for them as they sought personal growth and as they sought to interact with both family members as well as others in their society. And both Catholic and Orthodox Christian families reported that strengths in their personal life and in their marriage and family relationships were brought to them as they tried to remember God, tried to remember what God asked them to do, to love and to forgive and to be patient. And as they participated in sacred religious ritual, that reminded them and helped them to be stronger in their parent-child relationship and stronger in their marital relationship.
0: And so we conclude interviewing these 21 Catholic and Orthodox Christians. And again and again, we're told reportedly that at the core of the transformative influence of faith in their family life is the concept and act of forgiveness. All Christians are admonished in the Lord's Prayer to, quote, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, end quote and uh, an emphasis on forgiveness is certainly not limited to catholics and orthodox christians but these words do seem to have special meaning in these faith traditions that incorporate formal procedures for seeking forgiveness and asking for forgiveness by granting sacramental status to confession catholics and orthodox christians are socialized into thinking about forgiveness both in seeking forgiveness for their own transgressions and and also in granting forgiveness for the transgressions of others. Uh, We've noted elsewhere that repentance and forgiveness seem to be two sides of the same coin. Perhaps the most central and salient issues in the interviews we conducted is how these uh, Catholic and Orthodox families incorporate forgiveness of family members and of others into their daily lives in a structured way and how these efforts can facilitate harmonious interactions both inside and outside the family one other important theme we discovered is that for catholics and orthodox christians their faith plays an important conflict resolution role by encouraging them to love one another and that ultimately this has uh, the effect of bringing them closer together and in the context created by the religious faith, family members are likely to minimize conflict while at the same time developing a faith-infused bond that brings them closer together. Ultimately, the picture painted in these 21 qualitative family interviews reveals that many of the exemplary Catholics and Orthodox Christians that we've interviewed, that they enjoy harmonious marriages, enjoyable interaction with their children, and interactions with others outside their families to the extent that their religious faith serves as a guide for their day-to-day living. And for many of these families, religion was reportedly not just an important part of their life. It was at the center for them.
1: As we uh, do these podcasts, we often talk about a sense of holy envy that we feel. And we'll do actually an entire podcast that will talk about holy envy across uh, all the eight faith communities that we interviewed But as we've concluded this kind of formal part of the podcast in talking about the findings, reminds me that I've had long relationships over my life, uh, long-term relationships uh, with many Catholic friends and family members. And one of the things I've appreciated most about the Catholic faith is that those rituals like confession, like the Eucharist, which serve as a reminder, they're communal rituals in that they're done at the church And they're done with other people in the presence of a priest administering that sacrament. But their devotion to those rituals as an expression of love of God is really profound. And I'm going to tell you a story in just a minute about, you know, kind of a humorous example of that sort of commitment to ritual and what difference it makes. In my own case, my mom was raised by an Irish Catholic mother. My Catholic mom and my Baptist dad met in the middle, so to speak, and they were married in the Episcopal Church where my father was converted to when he was in his teen years. And thus, I was raised in the Episcopal Church and served as an altar boy in the Episcopal Church. And the Anglican faith, or you know, the Epis- American Episcopal Church, is really quite similar to the Catholic Church in a number of ways. And some people joke that it is the Catholic Church just without the Pope. Uh, there's a lot of similarities in those two faiths. Growing up, my best friend, Rob Guidi, was a Catholic. His family were quite devout, particularly his mother, Bev, And I remember as we would drive around our hometown, Mrs. Guidi, whenever we went past a Catholic church, she would always cross herself. And that was impressive to me that, you know, we're out driving, doing errands, going to this event or going shopping or going to a sports event. But as we passed by Catholic churches, wherever it was, she would always cross herself. And that just kind of connection with her faith was really pretty cool. I actually played in the Catholic Youth Organization Basketball League with Rob and a number of other of my Catholic friends growing up. And I'll never forget a ritual, a personal private ritual that uh, the best player in the league named Haas Parnow. Haas, whenever he would shoot a free throw, would uh, do this little pre-shot ritual where he would bounce the ball three times and then toss the ball in the air with backspin. And while the ball was in the air, he would cross himself. The ball would hit the floor, and then come back to him, and then he would shoot. So three dribble, bounce, 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 toss the ball in the air, cross yourself, catch, and shoot. I don't think he ever missed a free throw. I'm sure he did. But to me, that uh, ritual was was powerful because he, he seemed to make almost all of his free throws. I actually was invited to speak uh, a number of years ago at a conference about um, natural family planning, the, the Catholic practice of birth control. And I told that story as a way to just kind of you know connect with, uh, with those I was speaking to, which were quite a few priests and nuns, as well as a lot of Catholic lay people who taught in the natural family planning classes. Anyway, after my talk, a nun came up to me and told me that Haas Parnau was in her parish, and that Haas <laughs> was more Catholic than the Pope, which is a common phrase that I've heard a number of Catholics say about fellow Catholics. Usually in, in a complimentary way, sometimes, uh, you know, just kind of teasing them for being maybe a little too Catholic, sometimes is what they mean. Which may explain his 100% free throw percentage. I exactly. Guess. If you're more Catholic than the Pope, then you ought to make all your free throws. That's right. Yeah. And I was also very blessed to be coached in my Little League baseball years, uh, three years of my uh, time in, in Little League baseball, which back in those days, in the 60s, you know, baseball was the great American sport. You know, it, it was, frankly, like a religion for many of us, including me. And I was coached by three great Catholic men, Joe Lorden, Tony D'Amato, and Manny Beretta. And they were unbelievable men. They were all cops in San Francisco. They were all amazing coaches, and they were all devout Catholics. And they, they had a real powerful influence on my, uh, my early life. In terms of Orthodox Christian, uh, the Orthodox Christian faith, like a lot of Americans, I didn't know very much at all about the Orthodox Christian faith. In fact, the the joke is that, like many Americans, all I really knew about Orthodox Christianity was what I learned from watching the movie My Big Fat Greek Wedding, in which the Orthodox Christian faith plays an important role. But as part of my interviews during a, a summer in 2004, when I was kind of back in the area that I grew up in, I interviewed two Orthodox Christian priests. Father Constantine Estanthiou of the Nativity of Christ Greek Orthodox Church in Novato, and Father Stefan Mehalik of St. Nicholas Orthodox Church in San Anselmo. And I just loved meeting with these, uh, these two great priests, and then they referred me to some wonderful families in their communities uh, that I was invited to contact to interview. I interviewed three Orthodox Christian families uh, in these two faith communities and just really, really enjoyed those interviews. I need to tell you about a couple things. Uh, One is my very first interview when I interviewed uh, Father Meholuk, Father Stefan. We got going, and I asked a bunch of questions, and he gave answers. And I was surprised, visibly surprised, how frequently his answers to questions about what Orthodox Christianity believed was quite similar to what my own faith, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, believed. And so several times as he would uh, answer a question, I would say, oh, that's really similar to what my faith believes. And this happened four or five times. And on the, the last time, he said to me, now, what what church do you belong to again? And I said, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And he said, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I said, and where's that church come from? And I told him a little bit about it. He said it was a restoration of early Christianity. And then he said, The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, huh? Well, Dr. Dollehite, you could say that I belong to the Church of Jesus Christ of early day saints, and we're still here. (laughs) So we don't really need your restoration thing of your Latter-day Saint church, because we're still here. So you ought to come on and join my church. It was delightful. It was wonderful. He had a nice twinkle in his eye when he said that. And sure enough, what I came to learn was uh, there were so many wonderfully deep similarities between the Orthodox Christian faith and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints that I have come to really, really love and honor and respect and have great holy envy for much of that faith. Another fun interaction with Father Stefan is I purchased an icon of Jesus, the Christ Pantocrator icon, in the little bookstore that was there associated with St. Nicholas. And I was invited to have lunch with uh, members of the, of the congregation. So I was sitting at the table enjoying a nice conversation with members of the church that I had just attended the service with. And I had the icon sitting on the table. And Father Stefan came by and he said, oh, Dave, you've purchased one of our icons. How nice. I- I'm glad you did that. And I said, yes, I-, I really enjoy this. And he said, would you like me to bless it for you? And I said, oh, well, sure, that, that would be great. He then said, come on with me into the church. So we went in together into the church, and he put the icon, uh, which is a, a, a painting of Christ on a piece of wood, about a four-by-six piece of wood, and he set it on kind of a podium, and he proceeded to say a number of prayers and blessings. He used holy water, and it was really wonderful to me that he was willing to take his time in the midst of you know his all of his duties and, and all the people that he has to minister to that he took time to bless an icon for someone that was not a member of his faith. And I have that icon uh, in my office. I cherish it. I uh, show it to my students each semester that I teach my class on religion and family and talk about sacred objects to people that help them to worship God. I loved attending a number of services with Orthodox Christian friends. Really, really enjoyed the services. They're beautiful atonal or a cappella singing that occurs. There are lots of incense, uh, like the church I grew up in, uh, which our priests in the church I grew up in love to do incense. Well, there's lots of incense in Orthodox Christian faith as well. And finally, I was really impressed with the devotion of the three families that I interviewed. At the end of my interviews with families, I would ask if they had any religious objects in their home that they would like to show me and you know, kind of discuss. And it was really interesting to me you know, after even often two hours of interview, People would just light up and they love to show me their religious objects. And in the case of Orthodox Christians, what that meant was a number of icons in each room. And then that icon corner that Lauren uh, referred to uh, earlier from the quote from one of our folks we interviewed who said that they really couldn't go to bed angry because they needed to say their evening prayers in the icon corner. And so they would show me their icon corner and show me their Bible and their prayer beads and their incense and their candles and their prayer books and... It was just beautiful to, to see them talk about that. And in the interviews, one family mentioned that on the way to church each morning as they're driving in the car, they go around and individually ask for forgiveness from each other. The two other families that I interviewed also had s- sort of similar weekly rituals about asking for forgiveness from each other. One family talked about how on Sunday morning, before they would go out and get in the car, they would sit in their living room and go around and ask each other for forgiveness. Another family talked about how they did a ritual each Saturday evening at dinner. They would go around the table and ask each other for forgiveness. And I really have a sense of holy envy for people who take their faith seriously enough to live it in a way that allows them, in this case, to ask for forgiveness on a regular basis so that it's an easy, natural, normal part of their life. And that allows there to be that sweet forgiveness happening on a regular basis rather than the tendency that, unfortunately, some families have to let offenses kind of build up and to just hold grudges and to get more and more uh, angry and upset and or distant with each other. It's a wonderful thing to watch uh, and to hear about families whose faith allows them to strengthen their relationships in ways that really make a difference for them.
0: Dave, in terms of Orthodox Christianity, as you mentioned, it's a very small minority and For me, I grew up in a community in Oregon that did not have an Orthodox Christian community. And my first real contact, I think, with that faith and families within that faith, was via the interviews that you conducted and also being a part of your families and world religions classes and getting to learn. That's been a delight. But in terms of Catholicism, I have tremendous personal fondness, and it's been tough for me to think back on of all the available positive touches I have had from dear Catholic friends over the years, which might be shared with our listeners. For me, I think one of my earliest memories was when the Catholic Church in my small town of Brookings, Oregon, opened their faith for our baccalaureate ceremony, kind of a spiritual corollary to the graduation ceremony, and they welcomed members of the graduating class there for a more spiritual ceremony, and they enjoyed that and still remember that in many ways more fondly than the graduation itself. I have already mentioned to you my dear, dear friends, Pam Monroe and Jim Garant, who co-authored this article with us. I can't even go into the kindness that they have shown both me and my family as close friends during the 13 years that we lived at LSU. And before and after we came there, as well as many listeners are aware that arguably the French Catholic center, cultural center of America is New Orleans. And there's a heavily Catholic influence in South Louisiana. And many of the students that I became attached to over the years uh, during my 13 years at LSU were not just nominally Catholic, but practicing Catholic. And were so kind in inviting me to attend their weddings as they got married, sometimes years after graduating. And that uh, would typically involve a wedding mass. And I enjoyed attending the, the mass as well as the wedding ceremony to celebrate during that time. I have had the opportunity to attend countless masses over the years of different types. Midnight mass on Christmas, Easter masses as I mentioned, wedding masses and feel a wonderful spirit during those masses. We even developed a favorite song from the Catholic hymnal, which is on eagle's wings, which we do not sing in our faith, but darn it, we should. That <laughs> we should borrow that one. It's inspirational and, and I love it. But I think from all these choice memories, if I could take one, if I could just take one in terms of the blessings of a deep, a deeply practicing Catholic on my life, it would be my high school guidance counselor, Marilyn Husslander. I lived in Utah for a time during my teenage years with my family, and then we returned to Oregon where our roots were. And so I was a junior transferring into a new high school. Tough time, you know, for a teenage kid to be making a transfer. And I was not happy about it. We moved the day of my 16th birthday from Utah to Oregon, and I had a more than healthy dose of self-pity, you know, and lose friends and got a start afresh. And Marilyn Huslander, my Catholic high school guidance counselor, made such an effort, such an effort to welcome me warmly to not call me in once but several times, to see how I was doing, to pull strings and get me into classes, uh, a class or two I really wanted that I didn't have the prereqs for, knew my name, and, and it seemed knew the names of everyone, every student of the hundreds that walked the halls of that high school. When it came time for me to take the SAT exam, the required exam at that point for many state schools in Oregon, she would personally remind me, you need to take the SAT. And being a silly teenage kid, more caught up in basketball than academics, I blew it off two or three times. You could not take it at that point online. That option didn't exist. And so you had to schedule it and take it in advance. One day, Marilyn Husslander came up to me in the hall, pinned me against a locker and said, young man, I have paid for you out of my own pocket to take the last SAT exam of the year. And you will take it. Do you understand me? And I said, yes, yes, ma'am. And and thank you. Uh, and I I did take that very last opportunity at the SAT exam on her dollar, on her dollar. It was not long after that, not long after my graduation, that Mrs. Huslander passed away from complications of emphysema and, and lung cancer. And I attended her funeral and her funeral mass at uh, the Catholic Church about 30 miles away. And I was surprised during that mass, how many high school students I saw there who I knew were not Catholic. And in my late adolescent heart, there welled up this thought, yeah, but I was her favorite. (laughs) Look at everything that she did for me. She paid for my SAT. She pulled me into her office half a dozen times, not just once. I was her favorite. And it seemed to me that I could hear a spiritual voice say and lauren every other kid here feels exactly the same way and that was the magic of that beautiful marvelous catholic woman without whom, i'm reminded not only would i likely not be a college professor today i may not even have made it to college so to that dear woman who to this day is my own catholic saint St. Meryl, and I say, peace be
1: unto you. <laughs> well, uh, you have uh, I really am glad you shared that very deeply touching story. And, and you've reminded me of my dear Catholic saint, St. Beverly Guidi. Uh, and so I, I can't help but tell a personal experience with Mrs. Guidi. I could tell you lots of stories of her taking care of me like a second mother. My mom worked full time. Mrs. Guidi was a stay at home mom, and she took me into her home, fed me, I don't know how many hundreds, probably thousands of meals, and watched out for me, and was just an incredible, literally a second mother for me. And she was a, a feisty, fierce woman. She was about four foot 10 and she was so devoted to her son, Rob, my best friend, that she uh, worked as the yard lady at the elementary school. And I remember watching her so many times going up and breaking up fights between big sixth grade boys that were actually hitting each other. And she'd run and get in the middle of them and push them apart. Wow. She was fearless. I mean, she, she was fierce in her devotion to kids, uh, especially her son, but to all kids. And she drove, I can't tell you how many CYO basketball games I drove in. The Guidi's big, huge Buick, you know, one of those big boat Buicks. The old roadmaster. The old roadmaster. Yeah, Yeah, the big ones. And uh, anyway, so I went back to visit Mrs. Guidi whenever I would go back to my hometown. Whenever, Whenever my family would go, I would take my wife and then each of my children to go a little pilgrimage to see Mrs. Guidi. And I would rave about Mrs. Guidi. And we would all in the family Astro van, you know, big white van with nine Mormons driving by with, you know, my wife and I and our seven kids. And whenever we drove by St. Rita's Church, we would all cross ourselves. I taught my kids how to cross themselves so that they could uh, could honor Mrs. Guidi that way. Well, maybe 10 years ago, I was uh, speaking at a conference and I didn't have my family with me. Uh, it was a conference in San Francisco. And I made the drive over the bridge and <clears throat> you know through uh, Marin County to go see uh, Mrs. Guidi. And there she, for about an hour, uh, she told me her husband, uh, Al, had died. And she told me all about uh, her son, Rob. Sorry, her, her, her other son, Jeff, uh, Rob's older brother, who had almost died of a heart attack. And while he was in the hospital, in very, very bad shape, literally uh, dangling on the precipice of life, she prayed to the Virgin Mary and asked the Virgin Mary to save her son, and her son was saved. That had been maybe 10 years, maybe 20 years before. Uh, No, it was only about 10 years before. And in the hour that we were talking, she must have said the Blessed Virgin a hundred times. Everything was about the Blessed Virgin because the Blessed Virgin had saved her son, sure. and so her devotion to Mary was tremendous. Later that evening, I had lunch at a Chinese restaurant with Rob. Sorry, had dinner at a Chinese restaurant with Rob, and I told Rob about my visiting, you know, his mom and her telling me the story. And I said something like, "Boy, she really is devoted to the Virgin Mary," and Rob said, "Oh my!" And he said, "She's just become crazy devoted to the Virgin Mary." because of her belief that that's what saved her son's life. And so she's one of my great heroes, St. Beverly Guidi of Fairfax. (laughs) So this ends our podcast of Orthodox Christian and Roman Catholic families. And we hope that you'll uh, listen to some of our other podcasts where we talk about Jewish families, Muslim families, evangelical Christian families, uh, Asian Christian families, and, and so on.
0: Doctors Dave Dollahyte and Lauren Marks are both professors in the School of Family Life at Brigham Young University. The American Families of Faith Project shares research-based ideas about ways of making faith come alive in marriage and family life.